0: Hi, my name is Stephen Luna. I'm the lead pastor of MWC Church. We're so glad you chose to join us for this podcast. My prayer is that it would be a blessing in helping you grow closer to Jesus and help you grow in your faith. Enjoy this week's sermon. Whereas, so we are in this series where we're looking at the Daniel fast, and we've already said this, that fasting is, if we were to, to, to just broadly identify or define what the word fasting is, it's this, it's, it's staying away from some things for the purpose of getting closer to God. Now, more, more frequently in Scripture, fasting is taught uh, as, as abstaining from food, uh, but really we can understand that when we stay away from something, when we make the intentional decision to say, I'm going to stay away from this or that, or maybe you're going through uh, medical situations and, and you can't technically fast food, uh, you can fast fast food, right? Or you can, you can fast certain things that I know somebody who came up to me, they said, Pastor, I can't fast because it's doctor's orders. Uh, can, can I fast social media? And I'm like, absolutely. As long as you understand something uh, more important than what you eat on the Daniel fast or more important than, than the act of fasting is whether or not you are praying. That is the key to fasting. Uh, prayer with or fasting without prayer is is just dieting. And God has not called us to diet. He's called us in this season to fast and pray. There is something empowering in us when we make the decision to say, Lord, I am abstaining specifically in this season from food, something that I, I, that I know I rely on just to survive specific foods. Uh, and instead, I, I'm replacing those, those basic fundamental needs with the desire to draw closer to you. God does powerful things. He does powerful things. So so I'm telling you, more importantly than, than what you are or not are not eating during this fast is whether or not you are praying. We see Jesus kind of clarify this in Luke chapter 18. You see, Jesus had previously been talking to some of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were a, a group of elite uh, religious people. I mean, they, they were smart, they were brilliant, they were the teachers of the law. They, they 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 constantly read the Word of God, and they would I would say by and large they would accurately uh, exegete the scriptures they were given. They they had strong theology. Honestly, when we look at the Pharisees, I think sometimes we give them a, a bad rap, and we We think that they're the bad guys, and in many ways they are, obviously. But when you look at the Pharisees, uh, they actually were closer, uh, theologically speaking, with Jesus than any other group of teachers in the time period. The issue that Jesus had with the Pharisees, their number one fundamental issue that Jesus had with the Pharisees, was not a doctrinal issue as much as it was a, a practice issue how they practiced their faith in their understanding uh, the, the the more rigorous they could study and observe the law the Word of God that means God would love them and look favorably upon them and Jesus was trying to to, to beat them down uh, not metaphorically speaking with with the reality that it's not the righteousness imputed by your deeds or by your ability to produce or to to do good it's you'll never amount to anything literally your righteousness righteousness will only come through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. None can come to the Father except through me. It was that fundamental issue that they had a a, 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 a argument with when it came to, to Jesus. So we see in Luke 18, him kind of brings some clarity. He's teaching the Pharisees, and he says this. He says, two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, Right, And the other was a despised tax collector. Nobody, just like today, especially during this season, nobody liked uh, tax collectors, uh, especially in this day and age. They were known to be individuals that would pad their pockets. So they would say, if your, if your tax was at 10%, they would say, really, your tax is at 12%? And the 2% that they would take extra would be going into their pocket. So tax collectors were despised in the culture, and even for some political reasons. Uh, but, but we see here, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. He said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. And he's going down this entire list. I'm so glad I'm not like the guy who, you know, sleeps at the bar, and the guy who cheats on his wife. And and I I'm not, I'm not like the, the lady who, who steals from Walmart and makeup from there. And he's going down this huge list, and then finally he's like, Who am I missing? He looks on the corner of his eye, and there's a tax collector. He's like, and thank you, Lord. And I'm certainly not like that guy, right? Like, I don't know how loud he was, but I do know something about being a Pharisee. Uh, Sometimes Pharisees uh, like to say things loudly when people are in the room. So I'm sure the Pharisee was, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. And now he goes to the reason why he's better than everyone else. I fast twice a week, and, and I give a tenth of my income. Two things that, biblically, we know that are, 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 are good stances for people of God to take. Fasting and, and tithing is a good thing, but here he is, he's coming to this like rudimentary fault, and he's saying this, because I fast and because I tithe, therefore I am greater than anyone else. He, he believes he's more spiritual elite than anybody else because of his actions. And then the story shifts. It says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. The Pharisees, if we were to study the temple courts, the Pharisees had a specific seat that they can sit in. They they were front row, front and center. They were closer to the temple or closer to the inner courts of the temple. Pharisees got the the, the cream of the crop when it came to good seats. I mean, these were not the nosebleeds, I mean, these were front row VIP section, but the tax collectors. The people who were unclean or viewed and despised in society were in the back, back, back row. Not unlike anything today, so don't think that you are despised if you're in the back row and if you're in the front row, Pastor Justin's like, yes, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> no, but, but in this time period, it was, it was law, like you were, there, was, there was designated seating, you, you had to sit in the back, and if you were a Pharisee, you got to come up front, and everybody would applaud you as you made your way forward, and, and here we have this chasm of separation, and, and, and the tax collector stands at a distance, and he, did, he didn't even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, and instead, he beats his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And the story stops there, and Jesus gives an interpretation, and he says, This I tell you the truth. That, that phrase, I tell you, was a, a, a teaching mechanism that literally meant listen up. And he says this, listen up. Who do you think? Or he says this, not the Pharisee, it was the sinner that re- returned home, justified before God. It was the sinner, the tax collector, the guy who wasn't fasting, the guy who wasn't tithing. It was that guy in that moment who returned home justified. Why? He gives the answer. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Exalted. So some of you would be saying, oh, thanks, pastor. I just wasted two weeks of my life, right? This fast means nothing, right? No, 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 no. I'm here to simply say this. This fast that we're in, the season of praying that we're in, if done right, God will use it to honor us and exalt us. He will use it for his glory and his purposes, but the key word is if it's done right. If it's done right. And I'm telling you, prayer Prayer is fasting done right. When we say, Lord, instead of this, I'm replacing this, whatever it may be, maybe you're fasting something else, I'm I'm replacing this, and instead, in its place, I'm I'm, I'm pursuing you, I I want more of you. The greatest way to humble yourself during this season of fasting is not by going without food, but by going all in with God. God. The greatest way that you could ever humble yourself is not just to go without food, to not put on burlap sacks and, and, and dump ashes and, you know, and, and shave your beard like we would see them mourn in the Old Testament. I mean, that, that was a time and a place. That was a culture. But the greatest thing we can do now is, is not just abstain from some things and some foods, but, but to go all in with God. And say, Lord, I, I want more of you. So we have decided as a church that the first part of this year The Bible would say the first fruits, the first of anything is the first fruits, that's the best, right? We are saying the first part of the year, Lord, we are going all in with you. We are praying, we are fasting. We are reading the Bible together. If, if you haven't picked up any of the, the resources that we've given you, you can go to tinyurl.com forward slash it's I know it's a pretty long link. Uh, I try to tell the creative team to do a QR code. They don't like me, so they don't listen. Uh, but you could, you could find this link online, tinyurl.com forward slash MWC Daniel Fast. You can go on that, find that link, and then you can keep up with us in this last week. And we already have like 72 people that are reading this together. It's been awesome. And people are commenting. So you can do that. Come to Prayer on Wednesday night. Follow along with the YouVersion Bible app. Or you can even pick up the Daniel Fast book that we have in the back in this last week. But man, it has been a powerful season. So we have said this, okay? We have said week one, when we fast, fasting brings breakthrough. Spiritual breakthrough. If there's sometimes walls that we keep hitting up against, that fasting brings spiritual breakthrough. We've also said this in week two, fasting brings situation transformation. If you're ever in a situation where you're just like, Lord, I I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this, praying and fasting can make the difference. We've said this, that fasting doesn't manipulate God. I want us to be clear. When you fast, you're not twisting the arm of God, You are instead turning your ear to hear him more clearly. Fasting doesn't manipulate him, but it maneuvers us to get closer. And when we draw closer to God, he transforms situations. We looked at stories last week, but today, this week, I'm here to tell you that fasting brings, or fasting helps us hear God's marching orders. Everybody say marching orders marching orders that's a a, a, a a term that the military would use when when a superior officer would give uh, lower ranking of of uh, military men and women soldiers, they, they would give them orders and say, hey, this is the direction we're going, right? Uh, we love to talk about equality and we, we, as civilians, we're like, everyone's equal and that's absolutely perfect. But in a in a situation where there's life and death, uh, people tend to naturally fall into structure and hierarchy and they start understanding, okay, there, there needs to be order out of this chaos. So the military is a very, very good example of this uh, in our relationship with God. When it comes to our relationship with God, he is not just a cosmic genie, or I don't want to say just, he is not a cosmic genie, that if we just do a bunch of good stuff, that, that we can get some wishes, and if we put coins in by fasting and praying, then maybe he'll listen to us, and we can, we, can, we can get things out of this. That's not how it works. God is God. He is the king. He is the, the creator of the universe. Uh, every single breath that you have ever been ever breathed has been a gift from his goodness, from his, I mean, he's merciful, he's righteous, he's just. So when we, when we look at this season, we got to understand something, that, that God is greater than us, and the greatest thing we can do is say, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Like, I, I, I don't want to just be the kind of person that says, I, I have big dreams and big ambitions, and, and God, can you be the guy who sits uh, right next to me, right? Can, can you be the one that, that kind of sits, it's like those motorcycles, and they, and they have that, that bucket seat, like, like Lord, I, I want to ride my motorcycle, but I want you to be in that bucket seat right next to me and, and just ride with me. No, the Lord is the, we, we say, the Lord, Lord, you are the one who is in control. And I'm along for the ride. You guide me, you tell me where I'm going. And that kind of mindset is the greatest place you can be. When you are fasting, you are opening up your ears to hear the Lord's marching orders. And here's one thing we know about Lord, our Lord. When we say you are master and you are savior, he leads us and guides us to things, the greater things that we could ever lead ourselves. Yeah, it might require some sacrifice And it's sure gonna require some obedience, but I promise you there is blessing on the other side of that sacrifice and obedience. You draw closer to him. You come to understand the meaning of why you even exist. And you you get to walk and live out a calling. You don't just wake up to go to work every day. You have purpose and value, things that you can't find in a self-help book. I mean, Jesus is everything. And when we pray and when we fast, we get to hear what this good God this merciful king, this this righteous father is telling us. We get to hear marching orders. Psalm 25, 14 would say it this way. The Lord confides in those who fear him. Uh, I, this is, last week was the first time, I, I don't know if it was a translation, and I looked it up, and, and I, it was a different translation, but I was reading out of the NIV, and it's the first time I ever saw the word confide as a descriptor to God, because in my mindset, when I think of confiding, I think that's what someone does, uh, like in middle school, when when you got a crush on that on that person, and you're just like, I'm gonna go tell my friend, I'm confiding in in them. So, I always thought that that was something that someone did if, if they did something wrong or something evil. And I'm like, wait, so why, why would it say that the Lord confides in those who fear him? And really, the, the, the proper, the true definition of the word confide uh, literally means this to bring into light, to reveal what was once in secret. And that passage is telling us that a marker or a response or a reaction of someone who fears the Lord, not a phobia type of fear, not a fear of like, God, don't, you know, don't look at me because I think I'm going to melt, but a kind of fear that's respectful and reverent and one that is in awe of God. When we choose to walk in reverence and respect and in awe of God, he confides in us. And that word confide literally means to expose what was once hidden. And what is that specifically? God's will, his plans, his purposes. You see, I don't want you to think that that being a Christian simply means abiding by uh, a specific code of, of moral ethics or, or that, that it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. And yes, there are uh, rules and laws and regulations that we, that we do see in scripture, but, but the reality is, is that that is secondary to being close in proximity with God. And, and, and the closer you are with him, the more he refines our character and, and it becomes a joy to live out every decree because he, he knows how to live this life. He, he's created everything. So, so when, we are in, when we walk in fear of the Lord, he confides in us. He reveals things. So my question today is this. Have you ever had an encounter? Right? We, we said that the Lord gives marching orders. Have you ever had an encounter where uh, you completely botched something up because you failed to follow instructions or to clearly hear the instructions that were given? There was a time when uh, my, my, my parents were getting ready for a party and I was at that age of 16 where I could drive and uh, my, my dad... It turned, I turned into like my own taxi service, but I didn't care because I just got my license. And I was like, anytime I could drive, I'm, I'm down, Ready? Right? Like, so like literally I had my own set of keys and I was just ready to go. And my dad at, the, at one moment, he's like, hey, can you go to the store and get six bags of rice? I'm like sure thing, Dad, and he's like wait wait I got some further instructions. I'm like no worries, I got it. Six bags of rice. I grab the keys, I hop in the car, I drive to the corner store. I go in there, and this is the first time I ever bought rice because I'm 16 and 16 year olds don't buy rice. So I'm there, and I'm like there's brown rice and there's white rice and there's jasmine rice and there's this rice, and I'm and I'm looking at all these rices, and then I, I go to the lady, and I'm like hey uh, I knew them because we you know it was a little a little corner store right by our house, and I knew them, and I was like hey um what kind of rice should I get? My dad told me to get six bags of rice, and I didn't have a phone at the time. Uh, he's like, uh, wh- wh- he told me to get six bags of rice. What kind of rice would you would you would you suggest? And he's like, are you are you sure he meant six bags? I mean, that's a lot. I'm like, yeah, six bags of rice. We're having a party, I guess. So we're, we're gonna eat this. So she she goes through it and. Uh, she, she picks out the kind of rice that she thinks that our family would like, uh, Mexican rice, right? So, so she, she, she shows me the Mexican rice, and she was Mexican too, she wasn't being racist or anything, but she's like, this is what you guys want. I'm like, all right, perfect. So I grab this rice, I drive back home, I put the car, I put the, the bags on the table, and I go back to my game of Madden that I had paused, and uh, my dad's like, hey, what is this on the table? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? You, are, have you forgot, you told me to go get six bags of rice. And he's like, I told you to get six bags of ice, not rice. And I'm like, he's like, why, why would I ever ask you to get six bags of rice? And I'm like, I don't know, Dad, we're Mexican. Like, you figure it out. I don't know why I wouldn't eat that much rice. I mean, it's not like we're not gonna eat it. And he's like, go back to the store, get six bags of ice. Have you ever had a moment where because you, you misheard some information that was given, or because you were distracted by something, you couldn't clearly hear something, and you ended up messing up the entire story? Or it messed up the entire situation. Well, in in scripture, we see an example of this where where a man by the name of Jehoshaphat, he was a king, who, who loved God, who knew God, but after a while got blinded by some things and ended up messing up a part of the story to a point where he needed to come back to the Lord to properly hear the marching orders. I want to really quickly read to you this story of Jehoshaphat. If this was a Star Wars movie, and you know how they all start off and they give you the context of what is happening, uh, this is what I would tell you, right? Uh, I would say that, that nearly a hundred years ago, or nearly hundred hundred years after the death of King David, the kingdom of Israel remains divided in two. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. King Ahab, Israel's evil king, is still attacking Judah. Meanwhile, Jehoshaphat, the son of King Asa, inherits the throne of Judah and brings his, or begins his rule with compassion and concern for God and His people. So so far so good. Jehoshaphat's a good king. Uh, he starts off like he I mean he loves the Lord and, and we see some things and I want to read them in Scripture. It says this in Second Chronicles seventeen. It says this. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, established his control over the kingdom of Judah. And all the people of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he became very wealthy and highly esteemed. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. Verse 12 says this, so Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. I mean, here we see a king who his first Creed, his first edict, his first decree over the kingdom. If you go and study the kind of king that he was, he he kind of uh, he was a humanitarian. He 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 set up a a new way to to teach people. He would go into these different communities, into these different cities, and teach them, especially the poor. He would teach them about. The word of God. So, so he would go from kingdom to kingdom, from place to place. I mean, he sent up, raised up officials, would send them out, and, and there was just people who were coming to droves back to the Lord, people who once didn't know God or were far from him. Jehoshaphat was doing a phenomenal job of, of, of raising understanding and knowledge of who God is who Yahweh was. He was a great king. He was a, a military strategist. I mean, if we were living in that day and age, it would have been, it would have been a great time of prosperity. Uh, not just that, but he began to grow in wealth. Everywhere he go, it went, people were just throwing money at him and saying, you know, what a king, what a king. They were just giving him so much. And, and he started experiencing what we would consider blessing. But here's something we can learn about this story, that if we are not careful, what we once considered blessings can actually become blinders. Well, once we considered blessings can actually become blinders and they keep us from seeing the blesser. And that's kind of what happened with Jehoshaphat. He was accruing all of these blessings and all of this, this, this wealth and he was rising to the top of, of, of his leadership and he became blinded. You see, because When he inherited the kingdom, he had an enemy to the north, King Ahab. And I don't know if you understand Old Testament history, but let me just explain. Ahab was a horrible king. Ahab instituted, as, as, as the nation's religion, he displaced Yahweh as their king and instituted Baal worship. He erected Asherah poles. And these were pagan, pagan gods who, who uh, I mean, just horrendous things. On the Asherah poles, they would, they would hook themselves with these hooks and fly around them. And they would, they would sacrifice children to Dagon. I mean, this was horrible uh, pagan worship that if you were to study Old Testament history, you would see that th- these were atrocities. And here was this king who was called by God to be a good king, King Ahab in the north of Israel. And he married this woman Jezebel. She went after Elijah and Elisha and the prophets and, and tried to murder them. I mean, just a horrible, horrible story. And here we see Ahab and Jehoshaphat becoming allies. You see, there's nothing wrong with having peace with your enemies, but he took it to a whole other level and he became allies with his enemy. I want to read this passage where we see that happen. 2 Chronicles 18, Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem, and he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. It was all about politics now. And he says this, Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, he said, will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? In other words, will you go with me to wage war? And King Ahab of Israel asked Jehoshaphat of Judah, and Jehoshaphat replied, why, of course. You and I are one. You and I are as one, and my troops are your troops. We will certainly join you in battle. If you continue reading the story, Jehoshaphat, he, it must have been the Holy Spirit that just spoke to him and said, hey, that's probably not right. So, so he, he immediately says right after this, maybe we should ask the prophet, the one who, who's the spokesperson on behalf of the Lord, let's, let's, ask, let's ask the prophet. And, and Ahab brings in the prophets, but the bad thing is that they're not God's prophet. They're prophets of these false gods. And their, and their job was just to kind of tell the king what he wanted to hear, and, and he would say, oh king, you're so good, you're so just, you're going to win this battle, and they're just saying these, whore, like these, these lies, they're not hearing from God, they're just making up lies, because they don't want the king to kill them, and they're bringing all this up, and, and uh, Jehoshaphat's like, is there, is there a king of Yahweh, or is there a prophet of Yahweh, or uh, a, a prophet of, of our God, and Ahab's like, Oh, no, we have one, and we got rid of him. We put him in the basement. We never want to hear him. And he's like, maybe we should hear what he says, right? Like, the Holy Spirit's clearly moving on Jehoshaphat. So they bring in this prophet, Micaiah, and they ask him, what do you think? And uh, Ahab's like, I don't want to hear him. He always lies to us. And Jehoshaphat's like, Ahab, let's hear what he has to say. We want to inquire of the Lord if this is right. The prophet says, if you go, Ahab, you will die. Do not go to war. Ahab dismisses him, and see, that's why we don't listen to him. And Jehoshaphat, knowingly, hearing from the prophet of the Lord that this was a a, a battle that they were going to lose and that Ahab was going to die, continues to move forward and wage war that was not sanctioned by the Lord. They go out to battle, and guess what happens? Ahab dies. He dies, He gets an arrow right in between the breastplate and his armor pierces him right in the heart in the chest, and, and, he, and, he, and the chest, and he watches the rest of the war, and he ends up dying on the battlefield. Jehoshaphat is terrified. He hops on his horse, his chariot, and he, and he makes his way south back to Judah, where he should have been the entire time. He had no reason being in cahoots with this king. And he ends up getting into, back into Jerusalem. And the moment he arrives in Jerusalem, we, we see this. When King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely home in Jerusalem. Jehu, son of Hanani, the seer, which is another word for prophet, went out to meet him. And he says this, he prophetically speaks this word. He says, why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He's speaking of Ahab. He says this, he asked the king, because of what you have done, The Lord is very angry with you. Even so, there is some good in you for you have removed the Asherah poles throughout the land and you have committed yourself to seeking God. And something happened in Jehoshaphat when he was faced with the reality of what he had just committed. He was broken. And although he couldn't take back the sins he had just committed, the alliances he just made, he could reunite himself and align himself with the heart of God. So he does just that. A couple of years go by and he's, he's reforming everything. He's, he's taken down any, uh, uh, anything that is not of God and he's, he's just doing a great job and the Lord continues to bless him and prosper him and, and now the kingdom is completely being transformed. And at that very moment, here's where we find the story of Jehoshaphat receiving these marching orders. In 2 Chronicles 20, we find out that at that same time, as things are as good as they can get, like I'm talking a, a, a chicken in every oven, like, I mean, things are, everyone is, is prosperous. But what we find in this chapter is that at the same time, when things are as great as they can get, something else breaks out. There's three kingdoms that are on the doorstep of Jerusalem. You have the Moabites, the Edomites, and the Ammonites, and and they're all coming together as an alliance, a trifecta. And they are on, like literally the backyard of Judah. Someone runs to the king and says, hey, our enemy's here. We gotta get ready for war. And, And here's where we pick up this story. It says this, that Jehoshaphat was terrified by these news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting, to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. And I wanna just really quickly, as we close our time, just, just draw our attention to the, to the steps that Jehoshaphat took in this moment to fight the enemy that, the Lord, or that, that was coming on his doorstep and how he inquired of the Lord to do so. The first thing we see is that Jehoshaphat order to fast. He called all of the people to pray and to fast. Now you may not have a kingdom on your doorstep, or you may not have you know your three neighbors coming together saying we want to we want to kick you out of this neighborhood. Like you may not be experiencing that, but I do know this. Maybe maybe that is your situation. Then you should probably fast. Maybe maybe your situation is this: you may not have kingdoms coming to your doorstep. So maybe you do have the the neighbor of anxiety and stress. Worry and fear, the 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 neighbor of uncertainty coming around. We're at a new year. Maybe you're walking through a season that you you need you need help from the Lord. You know, I'm telling you, fasting draws us closer to Him to hear what He would say to his, to say to us. And in this moment, Jehoshaphat was terrified of the news he just heard, and fear is a natural response. But I know that this, fear is a natural response that requires a supernatural solution. You see, the the most effective thing we have, the most effective thing we can do is to run to the Lord in prayer. That is the solution that he gives us. So we see that he ordered a fast, and then we also see that he led the nation in prayer. And I I just want to quickly read to you the, the prayer that he prays. It says here, Jehoshaphat, terrified calls a fast. His nation nation is about to be uprooted. There's three kingdoms marching down, vast armies, chariots, everything, making their way to Judah. He is terrified. He's gonna lose it all. He wasn't even ready for this because he was out waging wars that he wasn't called to fight. But in the midst of that, The first response is not, let me run to the royal arsenal and and let me see what we can muster. It's not, can can I I call people in the north and see if they can meet us down here so that we can fight tomorrow? No, the first thing he does is say, we need to fast. We need to draw closer to God. And he says, we need to pray. Listen, we need to be people that prayer is not a last resort, but it becomes a first option. It's our first choice. It's, it's, it's our natural response. The same way breathing comes naturally to us, prayer is just a go-to. When, when we are in a situation that looks like there's no way out, we go to the Lord in prayer. And Jehoshaphat does that. So he, he stands before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the temple courts. Verse 6, he begins this prayer. Look, and notice this prayer. He says, O oh Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. I mean, I mean notice how he starts his prayer. Let, let this be a lesson to all of us in this place. The first thing that he does when he prays is not bring up his list of needs. He starts off with reminding himself the character of God. He's reminded, Lord, you, you alone are the God who sits in heaven. And you are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. None can stand against you. And then he moves over to what God has done in the past. Look at this. It's beautiful. He says this, O oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And, and did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? I mean, he, he's now reminding the Lord. He's reminding himself who God is and what God has done. May that be the formula of our prayers, who God is and what he has done. And then he moves on to discuss who they are. Look what he says. He says, your people. He's putting it into context. God, God, we are your people. We belong to no one else but you. He says, your people settled here, and, and we built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple, wherever your name is honored. We can cry out to you, and you will save us and you will hear us and you will rescue us. Now he's quoting scripture. I mean, this is a beautiful formula for us. When you have a need, when, you're, when your face, when, you're, when your back's against the wall and you have nowhere else to go, uh, literally the only thing you can do is fall to your knees. Start off by reminding yourself who God is, what he has done, and who he calls you to be and how he considers you and how he views you. You don't, you don't keep us at an arm length. You, you embrace us. We are the apple of your eye. You love us, Lord. You've never forsaken us. You don't leave us as as orphans. I mean, just reciting scripture, reminding yourself of who God says you are to him. And Jehoshaphat's faith begins to build up. And now he gets to the place where he brings up his need. In verse 10, he says this, And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, or the Edomites. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when we left Israel, or when Israel left Egypt, So they went around them and did not destroy them. But now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of our land, which you gave us as an inheritance. He says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? And this is is the key phrase here. He says this, we are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. Now, I, I started reading and studying this And that wasn't technically the reality. If you go back and you study the feats of Jehoshaphat, the army of Judah has never been stronger. He fortified cities, and he built up all of these different regimes and all these different legions. The the army of Judah was powerful, but he understood something, that it's not by his might, it's not by his strength, it's not by his power or his ability to, to muster an army. It was literally gonna be the arm of God that would bring them victory. Jehoshaphat knew enough that when I am, am, am leading my life without and apart from God and I'm, and I'm leading a life that is, is for my own advantage and for my own purposes and for my glory and I'm not doing things for the Lord, I fail. Kings die. And he knows the Lord enough to say this, I am powerless without you. I am powerless without you. Listen, I, I think for too long we... We we, we settle on our own strengths. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I'm I'm wise enough. Or I I, I can do this without you, Lord. I'll call you when I need the big guns. And here we see a king saying, I need what you have. And I need it now, Lord. You're my strength. You're my power. You're my might. And he says this, we are powerless against this mighty army. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. And what does God say? Does God say, I help those who help themselves? No. He says, I help those who help themselves to my presence. And he comes, and the people are waiting, and they're praying, and they're fasting, just like we are. They're praying, and they're fasting. We don't know how many days went on. We don't, I don't think it was more than 48 hours, but they're, they're just praying. We're on day 13, 12. Out of 21 days, they're just waiting to hear from the Lord. And look what happens. Verse 13, it says this. as says, all of the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. And I just put a note in my scriptures. I wrote, no, notice that it's the men who, who lead the way. Listen, I, I believe in equality. I'm an egalitarian when it comes to, to men and women in leadership. I, I definitely believe in that. I, we see it in the, in, in the new church. But, but there is something to be said when the, the men of the church, the men of the body of Christ, rise up and take the lead and live out their designated roles as spiritual leaders of the household. God blesses and he honors, not because you're perfect, because you're choosing to humble yourself in your designated and created role to say, Lord, I'm gonna gonna trust you. I'm gonna lead my family. I'm not saying I'm good and I'm perfect and I'm gonna make things right but I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna grow and and here we see these men making this decision and then at that moment it says that the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. He wasn't a priest. Jehaziel. It says, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mathaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. His great, 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 great grandfather was a priest, not him. And the Lord uses him to speak something clearly. And he says, Listen up, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says do not be afraid, don't be discouraged by this mighty army. This battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not need to fight. He says, "Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged." Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Now, next week, we're gonna, we're gonna completely dissect that entire section and talk about the result of what happens when God's people listen to the marching orders. But, but this week, I, I simply wanna deposit this in your hearts. When you pray and when you fast, you open yourself up to hear the marching orders of the Lord. Imagine what would have happened If Jehoshaphat would have gone out to wage war with his own weapons and strength and his own might, statistically, he probably could have won. But when the Lord speaks of word, you can take that to the bank. When he says you will have victory, you will have victory. I don't care what the odds look like. I don't care if your your back's against the wall and if you're surrounded on all sides. When the Lord says something, it will come to pass. And this is what happened here. And honestly if we're going to be if we're going to be true this is where we find ourselves at as, as a church. God has us in a position. I'm not saying there's armies around us. I'm not going to say hey if you look out the window, you know there's there's another no, that's not what I'm saying. But we find ourselves at a crossroads. What kind of church are we going to be? We're coming into a new year, a new decade. I mean, I went back and I looked at our church history and I got to see the things that the Lord has done. We have records of, of giving and financial statements and, and, and testimonies and just beautiful things have happened. But, but I feel the Lord saying to me that we are coming into a, a new trajectory of this church, a new crossroads. And if, if we are gonna be faithful, not just me as the pastor, obviously I'm the one that sets the precedent, but, but we as a body need to understand that we have a responsibility too. It wasn't Jehoshaphat that prophesied. He's the, people, oh, he's the people that called the fast and the prayer, but it was Jehaziel who gave the word of prophecy. He was just faithful to say, we need to pray and we need to fast. But the Lord gave marching orders, and I believe he's giving us marching orders too. In 2020, friends, we are gonna go through a lot of change and a lot of transition. And I know that the natural reaction to those kind of things, it's one of two things. Some of us are like, yes, I love change. And some of us are like, I hate change. I get it, and I love every single person, no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum. But here's the reality. Change is the only constant. Stephen Covey said that that, that change is the only constant. In the natural world, change is the only thing that is constant. It's the only thing you can rely on happening is change. But you know what's awesome? Is that our God doesn't change, and yet he brings change. And I would much rather be closer to a God who does not change in the midst of change. We're gonna go through changes in our church. Maybe St. Pastor, what are you talking about? Are you In 2020, I have felt for the longest time that the Lord was telling me that we need to go through a complete rebrand of who we are. Our church has blessed and honored this church for almost 100 years. 1922 is when we first became a church. A female evangelist by the name of Mary Bell Hartman, or Annabelle Hartman, planted this church. She was a, uh, an evangelist, and she would go from town to town, and she would preach the gospel, her and her husband. and, and Eventually, she, she stopped in Wichita, and she, she continued to preach at one place and just stayed for a couple years. And then in 1924, uh, we, we officially became an Assemblies of God church. And then in 1951, we, we changed our name from uh, Pentecostal Tabernacle. It's the first assembly of God. And then in 1995, we, we purchased this land. And, uh, and then in or 2000, or 1999, we finally moved into this land. And we've had so many different names and, and so many different name changes. And, and I believe that the Lord is saying to me now as we find ourselves in 2020, that we are going through a name change. He's giving marching orders. And next week, I'm going to explain exactly what that looks like and, and, and what, what, the name, what I believe the name to be Uh, for our church. We're gonna go through different things. I'm also praying for this, that in 2020, we're gonna completely remodel the stage and there's different things that pale in comparison to a rebrand, but here's what I feel the Lord is specifically speaking to me for you. The challenge is this. What is the Lord trying to change in your life? What during this period of praying and fasting do you need to hear from him And what change do you need to embrace? Let me just pray over us. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this season that you've called us into. Lord, although we may not have a a physical enemy surrounding us, we, we certainly have the enemy of complacency the enemy of uncertainty, the enemies of anxiety or stress. And Father, we want to commit ourselves to saying this, that that our first response will be prayer and fasting. And Lord, although we have one week left, I know your character. I know know how good of a God you are. That if someone were to jump in this week, They wouldn't get any of a less of experience because they've missed the first two weeks. That's not how you operate. But Lord, I just pray that all of us would be united, whether this is our 14th day or our first day in this prayer, the season of prayer and fasting. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would confirm things to us, Friend, how are you listening for the voice of the Lord in your life? How is he leading you? Are you clearly hearing his directives, his marching orders? Or is your first inclination to rely on what you have at your disposal? Trust him this evening. Trust him today. Commit your ways to the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Seek not your own desires, but trust him. And he will make your path straight. Maybe for you as a, maybe you're you're married. The Lord would ask, how, how are you allowing him to speak and give marching orders in your marriage? Or maybe you're a student. The Lord would ask you, how, how are you letting him lead and direct your decisions as a student? Or at work, is your sole purpose in working accruing more and more wealth? Or fulfilling a dream that, that you've given yourself? Or are you saying, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I believe the Lord desires for us to take a good, hard look at our lives and to vocalize the invitation that says, Lord, give me my marching orders. I'm ready to go. If you say left, I'll go left. If you go right, I'll go right. If you say go ahead, I'll go ahead. If you tell me to stop, I will stop. Wherever you are leading, I will go. I don't care if I have every detail figured out. I know you do. I don't care what the bank account reads. I will, I will trust you. And I know you, you want us to be methodical, knowledgeable individuals, but Lord, we, we don't set that aside and set that up over stepping in obedience and faith. Yes, we can hold them together, but we trust you. Friends, will you stand with me? And let's sing this song together as we dismiss. God, thank you that you train, you change and transform. Father, thank you that wherever your presence is, that there is freedom. Lord, we pray over every single person in this place. I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would prepare us for what you are doing in this season that when we find ourselves praying and fasting that you will give marching orders so Lord I pray that through the duration of this week even through the duration of our service together Lord that if you spoke something clearly that we would see it out that we would trust you that you are a God who sees out all things into completion so lead us guide us we give you everything that we are we love you we trust you Jesus, we welcome your spirit into our lives. Lead us this week. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord some praise this evening? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Guys, thanks so much for coming. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, if this is one of your first times, I'd love to meet you in the fireside room. Uh, we'd, We'd love to just greet you and get to know you. But guys, don't forget Wednesday night, we've got prayer this week. Come on out to that last Wednesday. God bless you guys. We'll see you this Wednesday. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.